Okay, people. Yes, yes, yes. It is this week's Echo Chamber. And we've got a two-parter for you. Yes, for real. We've got two-parter, people. But, listen, before we get into everything, let's do what we do and check out the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 18th to the 20th of February. At number 10, it is Jared Bush, Byron Howard, and Carissi Castro-Smith's Encanto, which is killing it for um, Disney right now, right? We've got Stephanie Benitez, uh, Maria Cecilia Botero, John Lasgesimo, and a lot more bringing their voices to this. Hey, I enjoyed it, man. Uh, we spoke about it a few weeks ago. But yeah, it is definitely worth a look. At number nine, it is Clifford the Big, Big Red Dog from Walt Beaker. Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> At number eight, people, we have um, yeah the new Universal joint with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. It's Marry Me, right? From director Kate Cat Cairo, right? Written by Harper Deal, Bobby Crosby, and John Rogers. Yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds like a weird story. Maybe it works. Who knows? Who knows? Right at number seven, the crazy motherfuckers from MTV are back. It's Jackass Forever from director Jeff Tremonet. So at number six, still doing its thing, it is John Watts' Spider Man No Way Home. Tom Holland, Zeander, Benedict Cumberbunch, and the crew. I think I'm seeing it on Saturday, people. Finally, I think I'm seeing it Saturday. All right, so at number five, it's Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. We spoke about it during the London Film Festival, and it's a, it's a decent little thing. It's a decent little flick. You know what I mean? So at number four, this is a new one. It's Dog, right? From Reed uh, Carplin and Channing Tatum, starring Tatum. Um, you've got Aquella Zoll, Kevin Nash, Jane Adams, Emily Rea Lamont. Yeah, I've. This is a new one, people, you know, about army rangers, it says. Yeah. Um, at number three, it's a, a new 20th century, it's going to say Fox, but no, it's 20th century cinema right now. It's Death on the Nile, right? Another Ukiaporo joint and another Kenneth Branagh joint. He's got two up in there. Right, and this one he will be starring in, right? Because he's playing Akupero, right? We've got um, Tom Bateman, Anita Benning, Russell Brand. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
if you like Miss Marple, then you know it's one to check out. At number two is Sing Two from Gareth Jennings. And our number one film, it's another Tom Holland joint. It is Uncharted from Ruben, um, Ruben Feischer. Right, it is Holland, Sophia Ali, Mark Wahlberg, um, Tati Gabrielle, Antonio Banderas, Sarah, Sarah Patrick, Patricia Meaden. Right, and um, yeah, you know, I, I've heard it's decent. I think I might see that Saturday. Who knows? Who knows, people? But what we do know, right? Gonna get into this week's films. That's what we do know, people. So yeah, let's get it popping. Okay, people, let's start off with a sequel to a TV show. Yes, it's Wu Assassins Fistful of Vengeance. Okay, so um in 2019, Netflix put out Wu Assassins. Right. Um, and yeah, they've made a film to kind of finish off the story. Right. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if the intention was to um, be this it or maybe they do a film before they do another. Who knows? Who knows? All we know is they made a film called Wu Assassins. Fistful of Vengeance. <laughs> yes, that was the title. <laughs> it is directed by Raul Rene. It is written by Cameron Litvak, Jessica Chow, and Yalen Tu. Uh, it's produced by Tu. Um, Cinematography is from Rene. It's edited by Michael England. Music is from Toby Chu. Um, and yes, our cast. Well, we have got Iku Yawazi back as Kai Jin. Uh, Louis Tan is Lu Jing Li. So he's back. And Lawrence Kao. Is back as Tommy Wah. Right, we've got Juju Chan as Zan Hu, Pearl Fuzi as Zama Zulu, Francesca Corny is Priya, Jason Tobin is William Pan, uh, Rafa Von Gam is Ku An Yi. Oh, and we've got uh, Katrina Gray as an Interpol agent. Okay, so the gist of the story, people, is this. Kai, Lu Jing and Tommy travel to Bangkok to hunt down the killer of Tommy's sister, Jenny. Having found on her body an ancient talisman that leads them to Thailand, their bio their 
biotech billionaire William Pan approaches them, requesting that they bring to him his twin sister, underworld boss Ku Anji, a Jianxi who has been consuming massive amounts of ki to expand her supernatural powers in order to take over the world. William explains to them that he and Ku are descendants of Pangju, the being who had shaped the universe, who the first Wu assassin killed after he went mad with power, and whose essence is now contained within two talismen, one in the possession of William and the other Tommy had found on Jenny, which had formerly belonged to Ku. William tells them that Ku had killed Jenny while searching for Kai, the current Wu assassin but lost her talisman in a fight with her, and that now he has, can use both talisman to depower Ku and restore order to the universe. Or can he? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, so some, who knows why Li Jiang Li didn't return as Jenny, and it's also just a bit, it was a bit rubbish that they killed her offset. You know what I mean? Like we didn't see anything. We start literally start off with them going to Thailand, right? Tommy in a cab, um, and the others doing another team in a nightclub, right? That's how we start off. So we don't see Jenny. So like, who knows, right? Maybe she just didn't fancy it. There could be schedule conflicts. Who knows? It. The only thing is, it just detracts slightly. But she was a big part of the first season. So the fact that then she's nowhere, it, it, it's just good. It, it doesn't sit right, you know? I think the other thing, you know, is is the fact that the original, right, the original Wu assassins, it wasn't, like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't highbrow, you know what I mean? It, it wasn't that. But it was, ah, it was fairly entertaining, right? It was 10 episodes, so it did allow the story to breathe a little bit more. Now, there was definitely some ludicrous shit, but it was kind of just switch off TV, right? You could sit there, watch it, and be like, all right, let's enjoy a little kung fu for a while. You know what I mean? And the fight scenes, like, they weren't daredevil level. You know what I mean? But they were okay. They were okay. In this, uh, the fights are just a little bit, like everything, to be honest, feels a little bit rushed. You know, just a little bit rushed. Which, obviously, if you're making 10 episodes of something, right, that is about 40 to 50 minutes an episode, you have got time. Right, you've got time for your story, but the film is not that right. It's an hour, just over an hour and a half. 
you know, 95 minutes. So you're really having to speed through everything. And by doing that, nothing really has weight. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like we go, oh, yeah, we're doing this with Jenny. Oh, we're going to go there. Oh, some guy makes us on off. Okay, we'll do that. And after everything that went down in the first season, the fact that they're just taking people's word, that they're just doing these things, you're just a bit like, what the fuck? Like, come on now. You learn so much in that first, um, you know what I mean? You, you learn that you can't always trust people. The other thing is they're referencing Star Wars and shows like this. So we're in a universe where they've watched TV, they've watched these films, right? Fantasy. So they understand, you know, there's usually double crossing and all of this kind of shenanigans. So you have them reference and say things and all of that, but then you have them just run into everything, right? With no fault. Also, what was set up in the series, it's kind of just all forgotten, right? Because we're watching this and it's a bit like, okay, so, you know, we were told that yeah, to Wu Assassin was the one with the power and he can defeat everyone. You know what I mean? Like, without that, you don't have a chance. But we open up and we've got, like, all the others, I mean, tussling and fighting and, and all of this. And you're like, what? You know what I mean? Like, Lou and Tommy don't have powers. They don't have powers, but they're kicking as much ass as Kai. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit baffling. You know, also it's, yeah, the fight scenes are just, they try and get mad fancy with it. You know, a lot of weird kicks and spins and all of this, but it's all wasteful movement right they're, they're all doing things that you're just like yeah you're not doing that in a fight right your ass is getting shot and it's like all the bad guys are terrible shots terrible shots right they spray a van that they're all in spray it and no one gets hit you're just like wait what <laughs> how the fuck would could that happen if machine guns are just opening up on it opening up right there's scenes where you know things explode and you think oh that's a perfect cover because how would they not know what happened to you but they don't and you're like wait but you did more sensible things last time out right so it all just got it, it all felt a little bit rushed. Now, listen, other people may think differently. You know, this, I kind of think if you like those like crazy martial arts films that are usually on in the wee hours of the morning, well, I mean, they used to be. Now you can just kind of watch them whenever you want, but you know the ones I'm talking about, people, those crazy ones. 
right? Then this, it would probably speak to you, right? You'd probably be like, oh yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down with that. But yeah, you, you have to have that in mind because it's, this is a little crazy, right? There's love interests that all felt mad force, right? They, they bring in a couple of new characters, you know, like, um, ugh, what is their names again? Um, bloody hell. <laughs> it's, uh, Jesus Christ, what are those girls' names? Uh, Zama, yes, Zamazulu, and Priya, right? They're these new female characters. Zama is a cop, right? She's a cop, and what they, they've got her in the smallest top, right? The smallest top, and it's like, listen, they're it's not about like, oh, I'm body shaming. Oh, I'm doing. No, it's not about that. But it's just who's wearing that to work? It's not like she's undercover, right? If she's undercover, you could be like, okay, I get it. She's not undercover. So it's just a bit like, I do not believe. A female cop is wearing that on the reg to work. No, because, you know, there's a, the, the, when you think about, right, how it's probably, she's going to face scrutiny. And people are going to be like, oh, I don't believe you can do it. You're not tough. We're tougher than you. Just all of this. So she's, yeah, she's not wearing that top, right? It's stupid. It's stupid. And then when you kind of look at what they have Priya in, she's mad covered. And I'm not saying that like, oh, I wish she was showing a bit. No, it's just you have one female like this and the other one with everything hanging out. Right. And it's just it's a weird choice. Right. There's a pointless sex scene. Right. It, it didn't need to be there. Right. It added nothing to the film. But yeah, it was just an excuse to show Zama's tits. That's all it was. And it was just like, what are we doing? Like the way it was cut was super funky, right? They, they'd have a clothed and the next shot, she's got a top off. Then the next shot, she's clothed. And the next shot, she's got a top. And you're like, wait, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's just, it was a very odd choice. It's a very odd choice, people, you know? And, again, I don't care about, like, weird nudity or anything like that. It's fine. If it fits the film. But it's just odd when you throw these things in, and you're like, okay, without that scene, the film's still the film. Right? We, we did nothing. We have a lot of those forced arguments where everyone's just like, ah, oh, you do this, ah, oh, you do this, ah, oh, I don't like you anymore, blah, blah, blah. and it's just like, all right, when the stakes are what the stakes are, they're not doing it. It's just like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing? It, it's just an odd one. It's an odd one. I can't, but as I said, look, Rue Assassins, it wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't Paul Witzer. You're not winning an Oscar, but it was fine. This was just 
Man, it was weird. It was weird. But yeah, if you like those crazy martial arts films, if you like those B-movies, those straight to, you know what I mean, the Steven Seagal shit that's straight to DVD, you know what I mean, that mob shit, right? If that's what you did, then, uh, yeah, woo assassins, fistful of vengeance. You're going to be all up in it. You're going to be like, oh, shit, this is my jam. Talking about jam, the music in the film is such an odd choice. It's all over the place. It's just not, they do not pick a lane, right? It's just a hodgepodge. So it just, it's weird. Right, and it's not like they, there's a lot of rap, there's garage, there's rock and indie, and it's there's some weird covers. It's not great, right? They, it, everything feels like it's a cheap knockoff of something. Like they wanted something else, but couldn't get the rights to it. Yeah, I don't know, people. Look, if you wanted the story continued. If you like craziness, then Woo Assassins, Fistful of Vengeance, boom, it's your thing. It's on Netflix, so you can dip in, dip out, do whatever you want, people. So there you go. Fistful of Vengeance, Woo Assassins too. Okay, people, let's finish part one with this. I've wanted to talk about this. I saw this in December. You know what I mean? Beginning of December as well, right? I've wanted to talk about it for ages, and I finally do. Let's finish part one with Siren. Well, people, I am just back from an uh, early screening of Cyrano. So... I will be honest to you, I had no clue what type of film it would be. Now, obviously, look, I know the story. The story is a classic. You know what I mean? We had, there's been so many iterations of it, right? Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Steve Martin had um, Roxanne in 87, Dera did uh, Cyrano de Bergerac in 1990. You know, there, there's just been so many different tellings of this story. You know, there's been cartoons, TV series. You know what I mean? It's a classic. It's a classic, people. So I knew the story, just not what kind of story, what kind of version this would be. I just got the email and I was like, yeah, especially seeing, um, you know, old Peter Dinkage up in there. I was like, yo, all right, Dinkage don't let you down. So I checked it out. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot happening here. It, it's obviously, it's directed by Joe Wright, right? Who is, I think we know Joe Wright can handle a period piece very well. You know, he did Pride and Prejudice. He did Atonement. He did Anna Karonia. Anna Karonia. Anna Karenia. Anna, you know, Russian broad, right? So he's handled period pieces well. He's also mixed it up, you know, Hannah and all of that. 
yeah, he, he's done interesting things. Um, now, he did Women in the Window last year, which we spoke about. Was it earlier this year? It may have been earlier this year. I forget people. Uh, which I didn't mind, right? I, I enjoyed that one, to tell you the truth. But, uh, yeah, this is, um, I think you could say this is Joe coming back to his roots, right? Now, obviously, you know, it is based on the Edmund uh, Rosland, you know, uh, book, play, Serial de Bizarrac from, who all them years. I think mean, it's like 16, 15, something, something, right? Uh, but it was then adapted by Erica Schmidt, who, uh, you know, brought it to, well, I think it was off-Broadway, you know, so she did the play, um, gosh, in a few years back, 2018, you know, and uh, just so happened, she's married to Peter Dinkage, so wearing the original uh, Cyrano has a honker. You know, and she changed it up, right? She changed it up and had him be short of stature, you know, a little bit different. And I think that's more of a thing because, come on, people, we know, <laughs> we know there's a, a lot of women, there's, there's a lot of women, Shannon Lee, who, um, won't date men of a certain height, right? <laughs> Ding. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's it's more of a thing that you could go, yeah, I buy that. Because I think a nose, I think we, we've seen women date due to a big nose like that. I think that's an easier get around. But the height thing does seem to be a sticking point. So yeah, Schmidt wrote the play. And Wright saw the play and was like, oh, genius. And decided to, you know, bring it to the big screen. Um, so what do you do when you see something that, that works so well? Why ruin it? <laughs> so he didn't. You know, he got Schmidt to come on board and write the screenplay. So, um, yeah, there you go. Now, it's produced by Tim Bevin, Erica Fellner, and Guy Healy. Cinematography is Seamus Maguri. It's edited by uh, Valerio Borelli. The music is from Aaron and Bryce Desner, which I will get to that. Um... And it is starring, well, I, I mentioned it, Peter Dinkage as Cyrano. Uh, we've got Hayley Bennett as Roxanne. Kelvin Harrison Jr. as Christian. Bashir Salahuddin as Labret, the captain of the guard. Um, ben Mendelssohn as Degushi. As uh, you know, the Duke pursuing Roxanne and uh, Ray Straffen as Larray. I think Larray is the Gucci's 
friend. I think that's right. Um, yes. Uh, I know. I just saw it. Uh, yeah, my memory, people. My memory is bad. <laughs> now, the uh, gist is this. A man ahead of his time, Cyrano de Bergerac, dazzles whether with ferocious wordplay at a verbal joust or with brilliant swordplay in a duel. But convinced that his appearance renders him unworthy of the love of a devoted friend, the luminous Roxanne, Cyrano has yet to declare his feelings for her and Roxanne has fallen in love at first sight with Christian. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. Yes. There you go, people. There you go. So, the other interesting thing, as I said, why, why you know, ruin something that you felt was great? You know, in the play, as I said, Dinkage played Cyrano. And Bennett played Roxanne, so they got pulled over into the film. Uh, and yeah, no, it works well. It works well. Now, like the, the the thing that grabbed me straight away because we see Roxanne getting ready. You know, she's getting ready to go on a date. So there's a few things that you know what I mean. You find out in later life that girls be doing. You know, I mean, if they don't necessarily fancy the dude, but they're like, you know, but she's like, well, we're poor. I can't afford to go to the theater and I really want to see it. So I took the day. Right. That's something you hear. That's something you find out, fellas. It's a thing. But we we, we see this and I'm not going to lie. Right. The, one of the things that there's a couple of things that jumped out straight away. I mean, she talks about the poverty, but doesn't look poor, you know, doesn't look poor. And I think that is one of the things. So if you are broke, you would think that it would show in your clothing and it would show you, you wouldn't look as healthy right uh, you know Bennett doesn't look like she's yeah doesn't look like she's struggling <laughs> you know what I'm saying which you know I know it's a film but there, there, there is that disconnect sometimes with these things you know and being put you don't have to look shabby but if the if the clothes just look a little bit worn or like you've mended them a few times. You know, it's just little details like that. Also, it looks, it looks bright. Now, I wouldn't say as, as vibrant as, say, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Not that. But it looked a bit like, um, oh my God, I, I had it. I just had it. It was a Keith Ledger, a Keith, a Heath Ledger film. Um, Casanova, yes. Remember the Keith Ledger film, Casanova? And it, it had a brightness about it, right? When, and I, I, what I mean is when you look at, say, Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, there is a, a subtlety 
to the coloring, right? It more kind of feels of the time, but this is a brighter hue. So at the beginning, I was a bit like, hmm. And also, right, it doesn't look, because listen, we know the time. The countries are struggling a little bit, right? But the streets are clean and doing all of this. So there are a few things that throw. And then, then you know, Bennett starts to sing, right? Oh, it's a musical. <laughs> I didn't know it was a musical. <laughs> kind of threw me for a minute, man. Ain't gonna lie. But, hey, I, I didn't hate the songs. And what you find going through the film, right, there, there's certain songs that, uh, uh, that buy through, you know, throughout the film, we hear that song you know, it, it gets played a few times, you know, to reflect certain scenes. And sometimes it's at a different key, right, a different pitch, you know, to kind of set the, 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 the different types of mood or um, incarnation in how it's being sung. And I was like, oh, no, that works very well, right? There was a, a song after um, Christian and Roxanne uh, meet up face to face and after the you know the first eye to eye situation um but yes the song there it, it kind of reminded me of, of uh, Florence and the Machine you know the, like the bass and the beat and the oh the tempo and there's another song it's like tell them dum 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 tell them I do, 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 do. Mm, 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 mm. And I'm like, oh, oh, I like the song. And also, it's like, ah, it reminds me of the national, right? And a few of the other songs, I'm like, yo, that really has a national vibe to it. You know what I mean? Ah, it's interesting. Interesting. And um, yeah, it does because Desna on Aaron and Bryce. They're from the freaking national. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that sometimes you hear music and you can be like, go, do I know who that's from? You know what I mean? But yeah, as the film plays, you know, there, there, there's you know, because as I said, look, at, at the very start, I'm, I'm kind of thrown a little bit, but you know, straight away when they get to the when they get to the theater, you know, and we see this, and don't get me wrong, as I said, look, it looks a little bright, but it looks nice. Oh, it looks very nice. We've got very good camera work that's really kind of opening these scenes up to us, you know, bring us into what's going on. And yeah, we get to the theater. And, and there's a, a flow. There's a flow to the wordplay, right? And then Cyrano comes in, and man, you know, they work with a bass, you know, and Cyrano comes. And yeah, there is this wordplay, this back and forth. It's kind of like a little rap battle going on, right? 
and the cadence and everything like that. There is a Hamilton-esque-ness to it all. Now, not to say it's aping Hamilton by any means, but you do kind of feel that there, there is an influence there, you know? Uh, but yes, you know, and you, know, you, you just get this, this movement of the words, this flow, this choreography that really just works well. And that straight, I'm in now. I am in. You know what I mean? That just grabbed me. And also, it's just the way Dinkage commands a scene. All right, it's like, this is the thing. Peter Dinklage kills it in this film. Oh, he really does. Like, the sword fights and all of that, you're like, of course, of course, you can't fuck with Tyrion Lannister, son. You know what I mean? And you buy it. You believe it. That's the thing. You, you believe the fighting. It is fun, right? Along with a lot of other things in the film. Like, there is a, <laughs> there's a moment with a meeting in a bakery. And we get this whole kind of segment, this dance situation, right? And they're dancing with bread, holding up bread and kneading and making the kneading of bread very sensual, you know what I mean? But there's this dance thing and it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but very fun. And it works, right? It works. So you're like, yeah, I'm down with it. You are in with the film, people. You are flowing with the film. You know, you're, you're caught on this wave of just lyricism. You know what I mean? And we have great acting. Now, as I said, look, Dinkage kills it. Dinkage kills it. We know what Dinkage does. But Kelvin Harrelson Jr., you know what I mean? I, I, I first remember seeing him in Waves. And Waves was an odd one for me. It was because it felt like a two different films kind of meshed together. Now, the performances were very good, but I didn't necessarily resonate completely with the film. But, oh man, when I saw him then in Loose, now on Netflix, people, check it out. It's great. I was sold. I was sold on Harrelson. And then ever since then, He's just been killing it. And again, kills it in this, right? Kills it in this, you know? Uh, Bashir Salahuddin, great job. Ben Mendelsohn, great job. Haley Bennett, plus a great job as Roxanne. You know what I mean? Like, all the performances are very, very good. And that sells you on the film. Right, because there's moments of catch breath, you know, just this the the whole beginning with the eyes meeting in the theater between Christian and Roxanne. You are sold on that, <laughs> you are sold on that, and you are brought into the story because you know it's this whole pretense of love at first sight, right? 
And you know, you know, I ain't gonna lie, you do watch a film and you think Roxanne is such a dolt. <laughs> such a dolt. Especially, you know what I mean, when someone else is talking and you're like, wait, you don't notice? You don't recognize the voice, Roxanne? Come on. Or just the word iteration, you know, the writing style. You don't come on, Roxanne. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I, I think with this story, I think a lot of people can see themselves as Cyrano. You know what I mean? Like this unrequited love or the perceived unrequitedness of the love, right? There, there's people that you think, oh my gosh, I really like this person, you know? And not just on a physical basis, but just personality rise, because that's established at the start, right? They 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 talk about Roxanne and it and it's you know um La Root and um Cyrano. You know, and they're talking about her and being like there's a conceit hearing that there's these things about her, but there's something else that resonates that captures Cyrano. And I think that's the thing. You know what I mean? Look, well, there, there's people that you've connected with on a certain level, just through conversation. Now, yes, you, you think they're attractive, but a lot of the times the attractiveness comes from knowing someone, right? Because, listen, I don't know about you, but there's definitely people that you think, oh, they're rather attractive, and you speak to them, and you're like, oh, no. Hey, we just don't don't get on, right? And and whether you it's because you think, oh man, intellectually we're not on the same level, or man, I don't agree with their views, but then they're not attractive anymore. You know, there's something that's been diminished. So I think there's this part of this story that really connects with you, you know. And maybe it is because I'm, yeah, you find yourself in a, a situation <laughs> where, you're, where you're feeling like motherfucking zero on the version right, right now. You feel me? But it might be that. But no, the story speaks, man. And I, I dug the story. And, you know, just how it's set and how it's told, right? With the camera work, we get a lot of close-ups that bring us in or just the way certain scenes are framed, you know, looking down a corridor and things like that, or, you know, an avenue, you know, they're in the middle of the street and we see it and it, it, oh man, you're now drawn into the film, you know, and it, and it feels like we're there. It feels like it's in the air. You look past, you know, the brightness, the, cleanliness you know you look past those things and now it's just a story right now it's just this telling this interpretation the performances just all of this stuff right now you're on this and yeah i enjoyed it i very much enjoyed it you know now i, I they did age cyrano at the end didn't age roxanne <laughs> but they did age Cyrano, right? And 
oh man, it, you know, it's a bittersweet story, right? And I, I did, oh, the poignantness of the end does hit you. Does hit you, man. Ugh. I, yeah. I sometimes look at myself and think, wow, why? <laughs> why have you got a heart, you son of a bitch? You're meant to be a cold motherfucker. Ugh. But no, it, it, it speaks to me, man. I enjoyed this film. I really did. And I think if you liked the story, if you liked the previous iterations, you know, if you like these actors and actresses, I think you'll dig it. I think you will enjoy it. If you liked Hamilton, I think you will enjoy it. Now, if you didn't like Hamilton, it's not to say this is, you know, a carbon copy. It's, a, a, you know, by the numbers. No, 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 no. But what I mean is there is a, as I said, look, there's a flow to the wordplay in Hamilton. And there is with this. It's its own animal. But I think, yeah, if you liked it, it will speak to you. If you didn't like it, there is this thing about it, though. It's the story itself. And the story itself is, as I said, look, it's great. And I think we all resonate with it to some degree, right? Whether you're a Roxanne, a Christian, a Cyrano, you know what I mean? Or maybe a Deguchi, right? You might be a motherfucking Deguchi. <laughs> Either way, man, I yeah, I think you'll you dig it. And hey, if Dinkage isn't up, for an Oscar, I would be surprised because, as I said, look, the performance is golden. He kills it, kills it, and so does everyone else. People, so yeah, I, I, I think this. Well, I don't know what's going to happen come when this drops, but if the cinemas are open, it's definitely well worth going to see on that big screen. You know, just because the way the music works, right? Because it does feel like a, you know, a supporting character in the piece. And you do find yourself getting caught up with, the, like, ah, oh, man, I, I, I walked out humming. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. So I think that speaks very highly of this film, people. So yes, go see Cyrano. I think it will capture you. I really think it will. I think it's a good day film as well, people. There you go. Especially because I think it shows a lot of lessons. It shows a lot of lessons that how you should be doing your thing in a relationship. I will say, I do I did think the epiphany that Christian has. It is rather quick, but, eh, you know, I wasn't mad at it. wasn't mad at it. But, yeah, people, Cyrano, oh, 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 well worth it. Well. Okay, people, so it's that time. We are coming to a close on the first part of this week's echo chamber but before we bounce let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film so um skylar samuels 
right? Silent Samuels, Sienna Gilroy, Sergio Perez Menchetta. Um, yeah, they have all signed on for the Meg sequel. Right, so um, we're getting Jason Stephen, Cliff Curtis, Shua Sophia Chaff, and Paige Kennedy all coming back. Right. Um, so yeah, if you enjoyed the first film, you have a lot to look forward to. Um, it's written by John and Erich Hober. And uh, Ben Wheatley is uh, directing the film. And it, it's a proper name, a Meg to the Trench, which is interesting because I think the Trench is part of uh, the second Aquaman film, right? Who knows? But it's due out uh, sometime next year. So, yes. I believe it is actually a series of books so it's not so random to get the sequel you know what i mean uh we're gonna get a film around buster keaton right which is one of those things because we've had a couple of films about lauren hardy right we've had a film on charlie Cha i think a couple on charlie chaplin so yeah it kind of feels right to get one on um buster keaton you know what i mean uh James Mangold, right? He's going to be directing it, you know? Uh, so there is that, right? And I think, um, yeah, it, it's because he's finishing up other films, you know, his latest film. So he's just like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make that. So uh, it's interesting, you know? Um, yeah, he and I didn't know his real his name wasn't actually Buster Keaton, it was Joseph Frank Keaton. Huh. Who the funk it, right? I, yeah, I don't know how you get to Buster from that. <laughs> I don't know how you get to Buster from the Joseph Frank. That's an odd one, but yeah. That's happening, people. So, yeah, if you enjoy Buster Keaton, you have that to look forward to. Uh, so we know Sony, right? They're fleshing out their Spider-Man universe. And we're going to get a Craven the Hunter film, right? And, uh, yeah, we have got a new signee, Fred Henchinger. Right, he has joined up now. You might think, Where do I know that name from? Well, he was in The Woman in the Window, he was in um, the Fear Street trilogy that we talked about in 2020. And was it 2020? It might have been 2020, I forget, but they were good films, right? They were good films, but um, yeah, he's uh, he's joined the film, he is joined the film. Um, they're saying that he might be playing the chameleon, right? Who supposedly is the brother of Craven. I don't remember that from the comics, but yeah, but that's happening, right? 
So, uh, Ua, you have a lot to look forward to, people. Um, now, Amazon have got a new film coming called All the Old Knives. It's starring Chris Pine, Fandy Newton, Lawrence Fishburne, and Jonathan Price. And it's going to be hitting on the 8th of April. Ah, it's an adaptation of a 2015 book of the same name by Olin Steinhuser. Right? Um, in it, Pine plays well-seasoned CIA agent Henry Pelham, who in the wake of an information breach that led to over 100 deaths, is tasked with finding a mole within the agency. The traitor came from his time at the Vienna office with those operatives now spread out across the globe. His assignment takes him from Austria to the UK and a reunion with an ex-lover on the US West Coast as he closes in on the defector. Dum, 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 dum. Steinhauser actually um, wrote the screenplay uh, and it's been directed by Jonas Miltz. So, uh, yeah, I do like a good spy film. So I'm down, people. I am down to see if this can uh, give me that Tinker Tailor vibe. You know what I mean? Uh, so over on Netflix, right, they have um, tapped uh, Mark Oldens um, for his... Uh, Black Samurai novels, right? There's eight of them. So he's they Netflix have grabbed those rights, right? And they're planning to bring it to the big screen, right? Create a new little franchise. So supposedly the book center on Robert Sand, an American soldier in Japan who learns the ways of the most powerful martial arts and becomes the Black Samurai. So, yes, meant to be, um, you know, spanning the globe and all of that. So, uh, yeah, there was a film in the 70s, but, you know, hey, I'm, I'm down to see what this does. You know what I mean? Let's see what happens, right? Um, yeah, it, there's no um, director or writer, but we do know Russell Ackerman and John... Schulfeder are going to be producing the film. Okay. So next up, people, a little Blade news. Yes. So we know Michelle Ali is playing Blade, right? But now we know that um, Aaron Pierre is going to co-star in the film, which... Yeah, I wonder, because, you know, Whistler, right? Whistler is the guy that was usually with Blade. Um, and maybe they've changed the race of Whistler. Who knows? But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to this new Blade film, right? If it can be anything like the first two Blades, that'd be great. The third Blade, no. No, that was just bad. That was bad. Also in the film is Derek Lindo, right? 
That's not bad. That's not bad. And um, Bassam Tariq is directing with Stacey Uzi Kufa writing the script. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious, people. I'm mad, mad curious. But let's end with this one. Because this, this is interesting, right? We know. I feel the greatest quarterback right now, right? Of all time right now. Tom Brady, he retired. He, he retired this year. What a great record, right? Seven Super Bowls. Tom Brady is the motherfucking GOAT. But people are like, what's he going to do in his retirement? Well, looks like he's making films. That's what he's going to be doing, right? So, uh, yeah, he's making a film called 80 for Brady. It's going to be at Paramount, right? And um, it's actually based on a true story. Well, it's, so it's inspired by a true story, right? Four female best friends um, and New England Patriot fans who take a life-changing trip to the 2017 Super Bowl to see Brady play. Chaos ensues as they navigate the worlds of the biggest sporting event in the country. It's going to be directed by Kyle Marvin, who co-writes with Michael Carvinio. And the four friends, well, we've got Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field. So, yeah, they ain't ramping people. They've really pulled out that great cast, you know what I mean? But, yeah, that is us for part one. Um, we will be back for part two. But, oh, let me tell you this, people, right? So, this weekend, at all the cine worlds, all the cine worlds, I know in the UK, maybe in other spots too, but it's Cine World Day, which, people, means every film is three pounds. Three pounds. And that is regardless of the format. So if you want to go and see a film with those weird movie seats, if you want to see 3D, if you want to sit in the expensive seats, it's all three pounds. How fucking fire is that? So you know it's time to catch up. It's time to catch up, people. So I'm going to be getting in some films. And uh, yeah. Or not. We'll see. If, if there's a load of new, well, new old films in next week's episode, that's why. All right. But that's it for part one, people. And um, go check out part two because it is awesome. And I'm not just telling you that. All right. So see you there. Peace.